distancing, which is good now. Um, praise the Lord. So yeah, we, we have the, the, the restrictions are lifted. We've come to the end of the restrictions. Hopefully we've come to the end of the COVID era. I can't say touch wood. God willing. God willing. <laughs> um, we're also come to the end, we're coming to the end of First Samuel as well. Um, which hasn't, hasn't been a lot as long, but I know it's been, um, we've been in it for quite a while. So if you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 31, and uh, we'll just get going, because I, I appreciate the kids are, are in a while in there. So, Okay, 1 Samuel uh, Chapter 31. Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the worship earlier on, Lord. Lord, and just the life in the church. And We pray for your um, open hearts, Lord. And Lord, help me, Lord, just to communicate what you want to communicate. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, bring it, reading from 1 Samuel 31, verse 1. <coughs> so you may remember um, Saul had... had um, been chasing David. David had gone to the Philistines, left the Philistines. He had um, the Zin Ziklag, the Amalekites had come and taken all his his uh, family and and those who were with him and their and their goods. He he recovered them, redeemed them, and more besides. Um, meanwhile, Saul had been consulting uh, the witch of Endor um, about his plight, and Samuel comes up. And essentially, we have now the final, the final chapter in Saul's life, First uh, <clears throat> Samuel thirty-one, as the the Philistines were um, about to attack uh, Israel. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan. Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and trust me through with it. Lest the uncircumcised men come and trust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtaroths and they fastened his body on the, the wall of Bethshan. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the body of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones 
and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So quite a, a brutal end uh, to, the, to the life of, of Saul. Um, and it, it's a pretty dark chapter in, in, a, in, a, in a rather dark life, if, if we're honest. Um, if we cast our memory back to when Saul first appeared on the scene, it was um, the result, essentially, of uh, the cry of the, the Israelites that they wanted, they, they, they said that they wanted to have a king like all the other nations. All the other nations around them had a king, they wanted to have a king. And of course, uh, God wasn't happy with this because God was their king. Israel were to be a special nation, a unique nation, a nation set apart, different from everyone else. Where they weren't to have a king, God was to be their king. But the Israelites were having none of it. They wanted their own king to help them to fight their battles. They didn't want to trust in God. And so God duly obliged and provided a king. And if we remember, Saul, when, when he was first called, he was hiding. He wasn't uh, someone who wanted to put himself forward as a king. But certainly in, it, in his appearance, he was very impressive. And even Samuel, that man of God, was impressed by Saul, by his physical appearance. He was, from the shoulder height, he was higher than anyone else. So his head and shoulders above all uh, the rest of, of Israel. So he was a very impressive figure. And we know initially that, that God, uh, God's hand was, was on uh, Saul, even though God had warned the Israelites to Sam, via Samuel that this, this was not going to, to end well at all. And we see that it doesn't end well. They had called for someone to deliver them, and we see at the very end the Philistines taking, um, invading uh, Israel and, and kicking out basically all the um, Israelites from, from <coughs> or the, the, uh, Saul's followers uh, from, from their towns. So it wasn't, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't unexpected, shall we say. You know, it was, it was like a, a slow train crash or a slow car crash. You know, the, 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 when you see it happening, and you, as you read it, you know this is almost the inevitable end. And in a sense, it's an inevitable end, isn't it? When we go our own way, we don't trust God, this is what's going to happen. And yet, we often do the same mistake again and again, even though, even though we know in our heads, if not in our hearts, or is it our hearts and on our heads, I'm not sure, but one way or the other, we know it, on paper, it says, trust in God, trust in the Lord in all your, all your ways, acknowledge him, he will direct your paths. But we don't. We don't, we trust in ourselves, and that's what the Israelites did, they trusted in their own strength, they trusted in the strength of a man, uh, Saul, and it did not end well for Saul or for um, the Israelites. But as I said, initially, God's hand was upon Saul.
we see that Saul um, <clears throat> was given a new heart a new heart uh, by God let me see now if I can find apologies um, I'm just trying to find I think it's in first yes yeah, sorry first Samuel chapter 10 verse 9 so it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart and all those signs came to pass that day so Saul was given a new heart by God now theologians differ as to what that actually meant was it was it like an actual conversion or, or was it um, just sort of a strengthening or a, a momentary um, period where where the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he was prophesying um, but either way he had an experience with God uh, and the outworking of which was that he was prophesying and he, he worked uh, valiantly for God and he rescued um, the town of, of Jabesh Gilead uh, from the Ammonites so his initial um, induction if you like into into his kingship into his role was was a good one uh, God was with him but as we see the rest of his life is, is quite a sorry tale it goes downhill very quickly so if you've been following us uh, through, through the story of Samuel or through the story of Saul in the book of Samuel you know that first of all he he permits a, or he um, <clears throat> offers an unlawful sacrifice in 1st Samuel uh, chapter 13 um, he was to wait seven days for for Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice but he grew impatient and he took the place essentially of a priest the, you, the, key, the king couldn't offer the sacrifice it was the priestly line of Aaron who offered the sacrifice so that was his first act of disobedience and we remember that when Samuel says you know uh, it is better to obey than sacrifice he then committed a rash oath that put his his son Jonathan in jeopardy when God told him to destroy completely the Amalekites he kept uh, the good livestock and he kept uh, the king King Agag Ahab Agag um, so bit by bit he was being becoming more and more disobedient and then when David comes on the scene uh, and David defeats Goliath he starts to resent uh, David especially when he hears the women singing Saul has slain his thousands but David his ten thousands and then he goes on to channel that jealousy that resentment if you like into a persecution of David and he, he chases him first of all he throws a spear at him tries to kill him and then he chases him uh, through the wilderness and uh, on his way chasing him through the wilderness he or orders the murder of Amalek the priest and, and, and others in the priesthood even at all that David spares Saul in the wilderness the first time in first Saul, Saul Samuel first Samuel uh, chapter 24 and um, he spares him when he when he could have killed him and Saul says to him you are more righteous than I he recognizes his unrighteousness uh, when David spares him 
but it doesn't lead to a change in behavior because he keeps pursuing him. And then David spares Saul a second time. Again, he says, I have sinned. I have sinned. Return, I will harm you no more. I have played the fool, were the words of Saul. The second time, David could have killed Saul. So again, he recognizes his um, unrighteousness but it doesn't lead to a change in behavior. And then, of course, he uh, consults the witch of Endor. Even after he's expelled the witches from, from the mediums from, from the land of Israel, he, he goes and he consults the witch of Endor uh, when uh, God does not speak to him. When he, sac- he makes a sacrifice and God is not speaking to him, when he consults the Urim and the Tumim, and there's no answer, God not speaking him, he goes to, to the, uh, the witch of Endor, knowing full well uh, that he's disobeying God doing that. So it, it's a sorry tale. Um, Saul's tale is a, is a sorry tale. Um, but it's worth remembering that it's not, it's not just a tale, a historical tale, even though that, that's what it is uh, in, in one sense. It's the story of Israel's first king. It's not just for histor- out of historical interest that it's there. It's also there, um, as the scripture says, all scripture is for our benefit, for training in righteousness. It is for our um, edification as well. It's for our building up, even the story of Saul. And why is that? Well, you know, there's many different angles to it. Um, but one is, in many ways, Saul represents a lot a mirror of a lot of us in our human nature, our selfish nature. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, how many non-Christians know the story of Saul? I'd say very few. Some might say very few. But primarily the story of Saul is a story for Christians to understand and to learn from. So rather than make him as this pantomime villain, there are lessons there for us uh, to learn. Just to say as well, um, there's also a sort of a. If you have the, the if you're looking at the the narrative of of the of Israel and, and God's dealing with Israel, there was um, some some rationale in this. Obviously, because David was about to, you know, take up the throne. Um, so God was going to use this uh, to see the ascendancy of David, a man after God's own heart. And tragically, we see Jonathan, Saul's son, and, and, and his other sons, uh, well, two of his other sons, also dying in the battle. And while this was a, you know, a, a terrible thing to happen to Jonathan, um, through no fault of his own, some scholars think that it did make it easier for David to ascend to the throne because it avoided there being factions um, in Israel after, after David ascended to the throne. Not that Jonathan himself would have, would have um, fought against uh, David, but perhaps his, the other sons may have. But it was, sad. it was sad for Jonathan. And then the other aspect of this uh, story are, are the Jabesh Gilead coming to the rescue of, of the body of, of Saul, not, not, the, not the rescue of his, his life, but the rescue of his body, of his soul and his sons. 
And they, in a sense, were, were repaying Saul for the good that he had done. So he, his life wasn't a complete write-off. He had done some good. And they were rescuing that body uh, from, from Bethshan, the, where, where the temple was. Um, but ultimately, it was, it was a story of, of a failure with a very um, brutal end, but not just a brutal end, a very um, humiliating a very humiliating end for Saul to be his body to be placed in the temple of the Philistines. So what can we, what can we learn from the story of, of Saul? Well, I think we need to contrast it obviously with with, the, with David. Um, so in the story of Saul, we have a man of strong physical appearance. The Israelites looked to him and they saw the physical appearance and they thought that this was the guy who would lead them. Even Samuel was taken by his physical appearance. But when, when Saul disobeyed God and, and God said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And he sent Samuel to look for a replacement king, the anointed king. Um, Samuel went and he looked at all the sons of Jesse. And Samuel said, it must be this guy, must be this guy. But we know what, what, what God said. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And it was in David he has found a man after God's own heart. And so Samuel, unfortunately, or Saul, should I say, unfortunately, was, was the opposite. He was not a man after God's own heart. Whereas David was a man after God's own heart. And I think the key lesson for me is that God is concerned not with the outward appearance. God is concerned with the heart. And we can see in Saul's heart there was rebellion. There was disobedience. There was jealousy, there was anger, and there was even sorcery, ultimately. Many of the sins of the flesh, all of these things were in, in Saul's heart. And no matter how strong he was on the outside, it wasn't going to be enough to rule God's people. Even though he prophesied, Initially, his heart, even though and God had kind of given him a, a jump start, his heart was not in the right place. And we know that in comparison uh, to David. And the heart is, is it's, a, it's obviously an amazing, we all know the heart, the physical heart is an amazing organ in the body. One of the most important, if not the most important organs in the body. And... Um, it is key uh, for our life. There's no doubt about it. In a, in a physical sense, it's key for our, our, our lives. And we, we want to look after it, don't we? And we want to look after our heart. The funny thing is, though, even though we want to look after it, we can't tell the state of someone else's heart, physical heart. It's very, very hard to tell the state of somebody else's physical heart based on their appearance. 
we all hear stories of someone, you know, they were really, they seemed really fit, really good, and then they you know, die in their sleep or they have a heart attack or a stroke or whatever. So it's very hard, isn't it, to, to know what's going on in the physical heart. And of course, it's so similar, isn't it, in, um, in the, the spiritual sense. We can put forward a good impression you know, that we have it together or that we're, we're spiritual, whatever. But only God can see the heart. The great physician, he can see our heart. Just like the only person who can examine your physical heart really is, you know, the, the cardiologist consultant. Only God and you really know the state of your heart. And perhaps God knows the state of your heart better than, than you do as well. But it's so important that we look after our heart. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 23. Very familiar. Very familiar verse. It says... Keep your heart with all diligence. We heard that word a couple of weeks ago, to be diligent. To be diligent to make your calling sure. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. So in the same way that we have our physical heart, our life comes from our physical heart, our spiritual or emotional heart um, is so important to us and we have to keep it diligently. We have to look after our physical heart and we have to look after our spiritual heart as well. What happens if you don't look after your physical heart? Well, sometimes you can get this thing called calcification, a buildup of calcium or salts, cholesterol, and what happens to the heart? It, the heart hardens. And it can, it can harden so much that it, it actually becomes beyond repair. And it's the same with our physical, or with our spiritual hearts. You can see Saul's heart progressively hardening as he, as he went along. Through the story of Saul, he got more and more desperate in his, in his desire uh, to um, do things himself and not follow God's ways. Hebrews chapter 2. The writer of the Hebrews, he's, he's quoting from Psalm, Psalm 95. Again, a familiar, a familiar passage. Verse 7, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore my wrath 
they shall not enter my rest. Beware, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So this is the writer of the Hebrews, he's actually writing to believers and he's saying to them, don't harden your heart. So even though like Saul, we may have had a spiritual experience earlier in our life, it doesn't mean we can't harden our heart. We can, through sin, through disobedience, start to harden our heart. And there's many reasons why we do it. You know, it could be a disappointment. We could be disappointed and go, I'm, I'm not going to go there again. I'm not going to believe that again. We could be in a, in a bad situation currently. And we, we, we kind of block God out. Or we just, in general, we just don't trust God. And the more we do that, the harder our heart becomes. And it's not a, an overnight thing. It's a very gradual, by stealth, it occurs slowly until we realize, uh, or we don't even, sometimes we don't realize that our heart has, has become very hard uh, towards God. One of the consequences of hardening your heart is that it's much harder to hear hear God, much more harder to be receptive uh, to the Word of God. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus speaking to disciples, he says in verse 13, uh, he left them and getting in the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did, did you take up? And so even disciples were accused by Jesus of having hard hearts. They didn't understand what, was, what Jesus was doing, what he was speaking about. And we, even as Christians, when we harden our hearts, we don't become as receptive to God's word and to God's Holy Spirit. Proverbs, uh, and, um, uh, Solomon in Proverbs, he says, there was a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. And that was the ultimate consequence of Saul hardening his heart towards God. He went his own way and it led to death and destruction. 
So what is the remedy? What is the remedy then? We have the diagnosis of a hard heart. What is the remedy? The antidote to a hard heart. Well, a word I've heard a lot recently in, in, in the whole coronavirus um, discussions is prophylactic. And I heard the word before, I never knew what it meant, prophylactic, right? But basically, people were saying, you take these drugs prophylactically, and I have to look it up, Google it, and it means you take them, and, and Anne I'm sure knows this, you take them before the actual uh, disease sets in to avoid the disease setting in. So you can be prophylactic, prophylactically, uh, to the prophylactic remedy for um, avoiding a hard heart. And that is uh, the word of God. Um, in Psalm 119, 9 to 11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we know, um, you know, we don't have to get ourselves into that situation in the first place. There's some natural remedies, shall we, shall we say, um, to avoid cardiovascular uh, spiritual uh, problems. And it's, it's to stay in God's word. To stay in God's word. And that's, you know, we can't emphasize that enough. And I think it is a point that we do emphasize quite a, quite a lot. So you're probably aware of that. But the reality is, um, some of us may be not at that position at the moment. Some of us may be in a position where our heart has been hardened. And you can even, you know, uh, you can take, you could say, you could take those prophylactic drugs of, of the word of God on the one hand, but if you're, you're having your, uh, <laughs> your high cholesterol diet, on the other hand, you know, the, the, the drugs mightn't work too well. And, you know, we can still, in a sort of an obedience, read the word of God, but still be hardening our heart in, in our attitudes. David in Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any unclean way in me. You know, the heart is so, it's such a deep place. It's such a deep place. As I said, only God and ourselves, to a lesser extent ourselves, really know what's in our heart. And sometimes we don't know because we don't take the time to examine what is in our heart. Or take the time for God to search us to examine what is in our heart. So even the word of God, even though it's, it is essential for a healthy heart, it's, as they say, it's a necessary, but it's not a sufficient condition for a healthy heart. Psalm 51, again, David, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. 
and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And he goes on in verse uh, 17 to say, sorry, verse 16 says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. So if you actually have a hardened heart, if you allow God to examine you and you realize, yeah, I have a hardened heart, I have jealousy. So we can see the symptoms sometimes of a, of, of a hardened heart it, it physically. It might be breathing problems or it might be chest pains. But again, it's usually you who's only feeling them. But in spiritually, we can get symptoms as well. It can be jealousy. It can be anger. Um, it can be just unbelief, not trusting in God, doing things our own way. So we need God to examine us. And as he examines us, if he highlights things, it's not the end of the story. If the, the doctor, the consultant examines your heart and says, yes, you've got a problem here. Sorry about that, nothing I can do about it. No, that's not, the, the consultant comes and they, they can uh, fix, they can operate on, on your heart to do some open heart surgery. And it's the same with God. God wants to do open heart surgery on us but he can only do it uh, for those who have a contrite heart. I love this verse in Isaiah. You know, if you want, if you have, um, if you put your hands in in in, in the place, in, 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 if you put yourselves in the hands of a, a consultant or a physician, you want to make sure he's really qualified. You know, <laughs> otherwise, um, otherwise you're risking it. Um, Psalm, uh, Isaiah 57, or 57, verse 16. Verse 15, sorry. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. For thus says the high and lofty one who habits in eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. He is the almighty God. How could we possibly come to him? How could we possibly come to him if our heart is hardened, if there are things in our heart uh, that are wrong, if we have that disease? But he says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. Isn't that amazing? Verse, God, the high and lofty one, dwells with the humble and the contrite. I'll close with this. What do we need to do if we, we know we have a, a, a hardened heart? First John, 
verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Saul said, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. A couple of times he said it to David, and he also said it to, to Samuel, I'm a sinner. But he did not repent. In the Corinthians it talks about there was a worldly sorrow that leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So, to cut a long story short, if, you, if God is saying to you that you have a hardened heart, go to the physician, go to the great physician, let him examine your heart. Go humbly, with the, with the honest intention uh, that you want to repent of whatever sin it is that is hardening your heart. And he will purify you. And then you will be able to teach transgressors the ways of God and to lead sinners back to God. Isn't that an amazing promise that we have? A great physician. If after this uh, anyone wants to come up for prayer, feel free to uh, Rufus and myself will be available. Or if you want to talk to someone else, that's fine as well. Or maybe you just want to you pray to God yourself, that's fine. But sometimes people find it easier just to share their burden with someone else to bring it out into the open. And we're, we're here to help you uh, with that. Uh, but let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much. Um, Lord, you do not, do not treat us as our sins deserve, Lord. You always make a way. And Father, I pray uh, if your spirit has uh, been speaking to anyone about any sin, Lord, that they would not feel ashamed, Lord. Uh, but they would know that if they confess their sins, that you 